It's time for episode 174 of the Clockwise podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, February the 1st, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where we make time for the important things anyway. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and across the internet for me is my co-host, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. How you Hi, doing? Dan. I'm right over here. Hi. To my left, she's an attorney and a Mac consultant and the co-host of Mac Power Users right here on Relay FM. Katie Floyd's back. Hi, Katie. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, to my left, it's amazing we haven't had him on before, given that his company is Steam Clock Software. Good grief. <laughs> it's Alan Pike. Hello. Welcome. Hi, guys. Good to have you. Uh, I'm today's designated co-host, so I'll lead things off. Uh, yesterday, of course, was Apple's quarterly financial results and we learned a lot of things about how great Apple was doing, but one area it's not doing as great as it probably wishes it was is iPads. Uh, we saw another quarter of sales unit declines year over year. Um, and with all of this, with the iPad seeming to be, you know, at least struggling to maintain upward uh, growth, is it still reasonable to say the iPad is the future of computing? I, I borrowed that question from uh, Mr. Marco Arment, a friend of most of ours, um, and he, uh, I think he's got a reasonable point there. What do you guys think, Katie? Well, I, I don't I don't think for everybody it's going to be the future of computing. I know a lot of friends and family members who all have iPads and they really don't use them as much as they used to. They all have them, but they're old and, you know, they just kind of sit on the shelf and maybe they pull them off when they go, want to go on vacation or, or, you know, do something special or, you know, have something to take on a, as a travel device with them. But for the most part, they're not using their iPads day to day. And I know that there are those iPad aficionados like, you know, Federico and Mike and even Jason to some extent, I, I think, is, yeah. is using his <laughs> iPad um, quite a bit. But I don't know that it's the uh, it's the future of computing for everybody yet. So mm, I love mine. I think some of what's going on here is probably that there was a big rush because everybody thought the iPad was going to be the next big thing. And it turns out that those iPads last a long time. And that's a good thing. But it's bad if you're Apple and you want to sell somebody a new iPad every two years. So I think that's part of the problem here. And I think the other part of the problem is that there is no one answer to the future of computing. The future of computing is a lot of different devices. And I feel like the iPad has some characteristics uh, combined that not only it's physical characteristics, but also iOS running on a larger screen that are really strong for a lot of tasks, but it is not for everybody. My daughter uses a Chromebook with a touchscreen and she loves it. And I have offered her an iPad and she's not interested. My son loves his iPad. So, you know, those are, those are two, you know, teenager near teenagers and they have different opinions about it. So I think they both probably represent the future of computing and they are using a laptop and a tablet. So I think that that's uh, the the reality is I think the iPad or something like the iPad is part of the future of computing. Um, could it be that the future of computing ultimately is a device that is like an iPad where uh, it's thin and light and you can carry it around and just have the screen and, and you can touch it, but that there is also a mode where it's uh, it turns into something more laptop-y? You know, right now there are PC laptops that do that, but they're not great um, and a lot of times they're laptops that kind of pose as a tablet and more work there needs to be done. Uh, but I, I do think that things about the iPad are going to be important for a lot of people in the future. And I do love mine, but I also realize that I couldn't force that iPad lifestyle on everyone. 
Yeah, that sales graph of iPad sales just kind of trending down over now a few years definitely has made it popular to sort of make fun of the the iPad and, oh, was it the future of computing? But uh, I guess I'm inclined to defend it a little bit. I was at Apple when the iPad was in development, so it's kind of part of my history and, and I have a kind of a soft spot for it. Um, but you have to remember that this the iPad is the future of computing thing was when it was announced seven years ago. It isn't the, the future is now the present. The iPad is the present of computing. More people are using iPads than are using Macs today. And that seems really crazy uh, from a seven years ago perspective that the number of people who are currently using tablets to you know, get by with what they were previously using computers. And so um, what the next seven years of the iPad hold, I don't know. Definitely, I'm starting to see people in our family finally replacing iPad 2. So maybe it has a return to growth. But even if it doesn't, you know, selling twice as many of these things than they sell of the, of the Mac makes it a pretty important product and a pretty big part of the present of, of computing. So and that's kind of where my feeling on that is. Yeah, I think it's interesting to look at this as a segment compared to something like the Mac. Now, the Mac obviously has been around for more than 30 years. And if you look at the sales units on that, they're actually pretty solid, but they're also stable within like a pretty small swing. And as Alan pointed out, the iPad is still doing much better than the Mac in terms of pure volume every quarter. Um, and so I think that there is a strong argument that the iPad is still a major computing device, but I think there's also a strong argument that it won't necessarily, I think there were people who thought it would replace the Mac and that was sort of a weird idea because there, there are different tools for similar jobs. Um, and some people are going to prefer one over the other. I think that's totally fine. Makes a lot of sense. I think like the Mac, the iPad doesn't need a huge replacement every year. Arguably, I don't think people's smartphones need a huge replacement every year either, but that's just kind of the way that we've been told that we're supposed to get new ones every couple of years. Um, I think the bigger challenge to the iPad actually comes from the iPhone. Uh, as the iPhone screen sizes get larger and we see the Plus phones, uh, the 7 Plus was apparently the most popular Plus model yet. Um, in terms of larger screen sizes, I think that's going to be a big challenge for some of them, especially the smaller iPads like the Mini, which also hasn't been updated in a long time. So I don't know if we're going to see some more convergence of those, if people are going to come up with display technologies that make it easier to bridge the gap between smartphones and tablets. Um, but I think the, uh, the iPad has a challenge carved out for it, but it's still doing pretty well despite that. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to topic number two. Katie, what do you got for us? So in Apple's conference call quarterly results the other day, we heard a lot about, you know, new original video comment, uh, content that is coming this year, uh, but through the Apple Music service, which kind of seems like a misnomer. So I guess my question is, what are your thoughts about Apple getting into this type of business? Are you an Apple Music subscriber? And if not, is this new video content enough to make you change your mind? I think it's fine. Apple's experimenting with the idea of providing uh, original video, and it already has a subscription service for content that includes video stuff. It's not all music. They have music videos and things, too. I think it's a weird fit. Um, I, I think in the long run, it, if they want to do stuff that isn't sort of indirectly music related they're going to need to do something else or they're going to need to rename the service but uh you know i'm okay with them experimenting here i think that there's some value in creating as much as i hate it in creating exclusive content that makes you need to subscribe to a service everybody's doing it it's a way that you add subscribers everybody's fighting for subscribers for their different services i was i saw the promo for the new star trek show that came out yesterday and that's going to be on cbs all access later this year and i, I had that moment of realizing oh, i'm going to have to start paying for yet another streaming service in order to get that show. And that is how it works. So uh, I don't have to love it, and I'm not sure that it's my 
you know, favorite idea that Apple has had lately. But I, I kind of accept that as Apple wants to grow its services revenue, one of the ways you grow a service is by creating exclusive content for it. So I guess I understand it even if I don't love it. This uh, Apple making original content thing worries me, uh, not because I don't think they could potentially make good content. I mean, if Amazon can make Oscar-nominated content, then I'm sure <laughs> Apple can figure something out. Um, but it's because it it worries me that they're pushing into original content is going to risk their negotiations of trying to get the content that I already care about into their ecosystem in better ways. So they have these TV networks that aren't buying into all of their programs uh, for sort of the TV app and the single sign-in and you know there's no Amazon app for Apple TV and stuff like that and the the thing that matters the most to me and probably a lot of people is that the content that they want to watch is easy to watch on Apple's platforms and that may, maybe Apple can just make all the good content eventually I mean they have a lot of money um, but my guess is that this is going to not please the people that they're negotiating with which I'm sure that they're aware but that's that's the thing I worry about with that. Well Talon's point I, I think I sort of come at that from the other angle they've tried to negotiate a bunch of different content stuff with those companies over the years and it's gone very badly for the most part so at this point i feel like maybe they believe they don't have much to lose in that department um and to a certain extent for those content providers they're going to want to put their content where people are watching it and if people are watching it on an apple tv or an iphone or an ipad they're going to want to be there otherwise they're shooting themselves in the foot so i'm actually in favor of this plan um i'm part of that is because i'm not a huge music consumer but i am a huge video consumer and so this is more attractive to me i'm not an Apple Music subscriber right now, but if Apple was making really great content that I felt I needed to see, then I would definitely be convinced to sign up for Apple Music instead of, uh, you know, Amazon Music or whatever. So, um, you know, and, and like people have said, everybody's getting into this game. I think Apple does realize it needs to make its own content that is so interesting that it's going to, you know, grow its service rather than just, you know, ending up as a service that is competitive, like, oh, it's basically just Spotify, right? Like, that's what a lot of people argue. Um, how do you distinguish yourself from all the other music services that are out there? Well, adding video is one way to do that, especially if you've got great original content. So uh, I'm I'm in favor of this idea. I'm interested to see what it brings. Um, I am not terribly worried about the relationship with the existing studios because I think the existing studios are just a mess when it comes to this kind of stuff anyways. So although the thing I worry about the most is just having one more subscription on top of everything else. I would love, as Alan said, to have one service that does everything, but it doesn't seem like anybody's you know in a position to do that right now. So for the moment, I guess it's just keep paying that extra $8, $10 a month for all these different shows until I run out of money, which will be very quickly. So I'm not really excited about this because I'm not an Apple Music subscriber. I'm not a huge music person. I don't subscribe to any of the music streaming services, so I didn't subscribe to Apple Music. I subscribe to a couple of the video streaming services like Netflix, and I have the Amazon service kind of as an add-on to, to Amazon Prime. And I would probably be a little more interested in video content from Apple than I am in music content, but I, I really don't know that I like the idea of the video as an add-on to the music service. Are we just kind of junking up the music service like we junked up iTunes and started adding everything <laughs> into iTunes before? And we'll probably talk more about that a little later. But um, to me, it doesn't really seem like a great fit and why are, you know, Apple's going out and making its own content. Okay, yeah, I, I kind of see that. But it, it it also seems like maybe a, a shift in priorities and, and a oh, yeah, me too play. And 
you know, if they're not going to really do it well and we're only going to do these couple of things and uh, right now we've only got two shows on the slate and I guess you got to start somewhere, but I, I don't know. I'm not thrilled about it. It, do, it doesn't seem like a great fit. It seems like a weird mishmash. It seems like they're just doing it as an add-on because they can to one more thing. Um, I, I'm, I'm worried about it being a hodgepodge. All right. Two topics down now. I, don't be sad. We have two more topics to go. We're only halfway through. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor this week on Clockwise. It's our good friend's. At Linode. Now, Linode is the uh, place where all of my online things are served. I have a Linode server. Uh, my entire business is run off the Linode server. Fast, powerful hosting for your projects, like my projects, and you can set it up in seconds, just like I did. Their tools are easy to understand. You can choose your resources, what Linux distro you want to use. You have the power and flexibility you need, and it's incredibly I got to say, as somebody who remembers the early days of the web, shockingly reasonably priced. Plans started just $10 a month for a 2-gigabyte Linux server in the Linode cloud. It's kind of amazing. Uh, whether you're just getting started with your first server or deploying a complex system, Linode is going to be a great choice for you. It's never been easier to launch a Linode cloud server. They have the fastest hardware and network, fantastic customer support behind it all, guaranteed 99.9% uptime for server availability. Once your server is up, it will stay up. They will keep it up. Linode, great for tasks like running a private Git server, hosting a large database, running your own mail server, operating powerful applications, running a podcast network, uh, a blog about Apple stuff. These are things that Linode servers can do and a whole lot more. You, as a listener to Clockwise, are very special. You can go to linode.com slash clockwise and get something back. You'll be supporting us. You'll show your support for Clockwise but you'll also get $20 toward any Linode plan. There's also a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Give it a try and see if it's right for you. Go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, take advantage of that $20 credit, or just use a promo code CLOCKWISE2017 when you check out. Thank you to Linode for sponsoring Clockwise Halftime. That was a much shorter halftime than the Super Bowl halftime show will be, I'm just saying. Mm. Uh, topic number three now. Um, this one's mine. Apple had a record... Apple Watch quarter. They don't disclose numbers, but Tim Cook said record revenue, record units during the holiday quarter of 2016. Um, and in that same statement, they praised the AirPods as part of Apple's wearables strategy, which I think is interesting to categorize those two products together. Uh, meanwhile, Fitbit <laughs> announced its quarterly results and laid a bunch of people off, and it showed that it's really struggling. Um, and it's been considered one of the kind of uh, lights of the wearables market. So I'm curious, some good news, some bad news. What do you all think in terms of where the wearables world might be going? And is it the victim of uh, of overhype and overenthusiasm? Yeah, anytime there's a new category, you're definitely going to have some overenthusiasm, some irrational exuberance. But my sense is that Fitbit is not uh, struggling because people are not interested in wearables, but more so because they've had quality issues. Like everyone I talk to who has had been fairly loyal to Fitbit has had to replace multiple units. Uh, they just kind of come apart. And build quality is something that Apple really excels at. And other than the few stainless Apple Watches that had sort of the heart rate monitor come off and they have like a, a not a recall but they are covering that regardless of whether or not you have apple care the apple watch quality has been really good and so i, I think that uh you know obviously it's something that's going to play out over 
uh, many years and maybe even decades rather than over weeks and months. But I think wearables, uh, that the enthusiasm is well-placed, even if we don't know exactly what time frame it becomes, you know, as big of a business as say, you know, well, I'm not sure if anything will ever be as big as a business as the iPhone, but um, to be competing with uh, or maybe replacing some of the revenue that they're not getting from from the iPad. Because um, I think that the Apple is really well-suited for that market. I mean, you know, I think that Apple Watch, for example, would benefit a lot from being thinner and lighter and if apple is good at nothing it's making things thinner and lighter so i'm excited about it the in addition the airpods and the um and the apple watch i thought was interesting they mentioned beats headphones in that mix too. right um so which you know to a certain extent goes through you anything can be considered a wearable so like strap an apple tv to your hip and that's a wearable <laughs> uh it's it's a matter of semantics to a certain degree and i think apple has shown that they're willing to be flexible about what they believe a wearable is um and so I think that there is definitely room to grow in this market. Um, it's a great point that Alan made about the durability and the quality and things that Apple can bring to this. You know, I'm thinking about I'm wearing an Apple Watch and I have been for the last two years and I've had pretty much zero. I mean, other than these sort of inherent like slight bugginess about software, like I had no problems with the hardware at all. Um, so I think there is a, there is still room to grow there as these things get more and more powerful and are able to be miniaturized. You know, the it's it's very impressive what Apple has managed to pack into the the Apple Watch and has since pretty much day one that's only going to get better and more powerful as things get as things go so i think that there's still plenty of room to grow there i think the biggest challenge facing the wearables market right now is sort of the you know the reason for being um you know the airpods are i think are a great success story because they focus on very narrowly one specific application um the apple watch was a bit of a scattershot they've narrowed it since then i think they need to continue looking at that going forward and thinking about what are actual problems that we can solve with wearables that aren't just an attempt to duplicate the experience of an existing product like the iphone or ipad in a smaller package you wear in your wrist because that doesn't really make a compelling argument. So uh, I think that there is definitely room there. And as we go along, these things are going to become only more prevalent. It's just a question of what exactly we want to use them for. I am very enthusiastic about the Apple Watch and the wearables market. Now, I've had one since day one, and I've worn it on my wrist every day since day one. And I think we're getting to the point where we're seeing more and more. I know I personally am seeing more and more out in the wild. I think the Apple Watch is is still very early, and clearly it's it's got software issues. It's got some hardware issues. It clearly needs to grow. But I kind of liken the Apple Watch to where we were in the very early days of the iPod. Remember, the iPod didn't take off really until Gen 3. Um, it was it was too expensive. It was too big. People didn't really know what to do with it. People didn't really know why they needed one. <clears throat> it took several years uh, for the iPad to I'm sorry, the iPod to, to really take off as a mass market device. And I think we'll get there um, as the Apple Watch gets thinner, as the Apple Watch gets lighter, as it has more capacities, as it starts to untether from the phone or in many ways start to replace the phone um, as it you know, as I think Fitbit maybe is starting to struggle a little bit and as they start to fall by the wayside, I think I think Apple Watch had a great Christmas and I'm starting to see them everywhere now. So I'm very excited about the Apple Watch. Yeah, what I keep thinking about about wearables is that I think it did get overhyped. I think it is super early days. These are all great points that you, you all made. Sometimes I've, I find it illuminating to look forward 10 or 15 years and sort of make a guess about where we'll end up without figuring out the weird meandering path we have to go to get there. And I think about... 
ever smaller devices, like Dan said. And some of those are going to be in various places on our body, in our ears. I think the AirPods is a really interesting beachhead. And we think of it now as as just an audio conductor, but it's probably more than that. Apple is doing research on AR and VR, as are almost every other major tech company. The idea that eventually this stuff is going to be super light and almost, you may not even pay attention. It may even just be part of your clothing. Um, We'll get there. I think we will get there, but I think there are going to be lots of false starts in the meantime where everybody's trying to rush into there when the tech is just not miniaturized enough. It's not quite good enough. And uh, that's where we are now. But yeah, I like my Apple Watch too, and I like the I like my AirPods. So I feel like Apple is, is using its clout and its uh, talent to make some strides here. Um, I feel bad about Fitbit, but I think this is one of those care cases where it's really hard if you are not a huge company to make bets here because they're going to be a lot of false starts and and that can kill a company like Fitbit. All right, one more topic left to go. Alan, it's yours. What do you have? So iTunes is 16 years old this month, which is a long time in software. And for a long time, it's been a wretched hive of scum and villainy. It's bloated, it's buggy. uh, And despite all that, it's still the least bad way to play music on the Mac. So my question is, what is keeping iTunes alive in 2017, this crazy conglomerate of every feature of the last 16 years? When will it finally be broken up into pieces? And can it be saved at all? Firstly, reference acknowledged. Uh, (laughs) Jeez, iTunes, what is keeping the bloated corpse of iTunes? iTunes alive. Um, This is one of those situations, you know, we talk about uh, Sherlocking a lot. People will cast their mind back to when Apple basically killed off a a pretty popular third-party application simply by shipping a feature that was pretty similar in its own OS. And it kind of did the same thing when iTunes came along because there were a bunch of other media players, um, but iTunes was included free with pretty much every computer. So at that point, it kind of drove most of the competition out of the market. Since then, it's made it ever more irreplaceable by building in things like the App Store and device syncing and all this stuff. So it's kind of entrenched. That also means that it doesn't really have a lot of impetus to improve. And I think they've taken full advantage of that, not having to approve things. Um, And I think that, you know, I think the biggest thing that's eventually going to kill iTunes is that I would imagine that most people don't listen to as much music on their computers anymore. It probably is more coming from things like iPhones um, in the same way that iPods were a very popular way of listening to music for a long time. Um, and that a lot of the other interfaces on there are not as important as they used to be. Fewer people probably sync their phones with their computers anymore, especially with the advent of iCloud. Um, so I think that sort of there's a small eroding from all sides of the features that iTunes actually uh, actually carries out. And it still is going to be a long time, I think, before it it dies an ignominious death. Um, I'm hoping that before then someone might decide, you know what, let's scrap this, let's start over, let's make a music app, let's uh, offshore all those other uh, elements to other applications, etc. But I, I think right now there's not a lot of uh, impetus to do that because it's it's basically quote unquote fine as it is. This is this is fine. I don't think it's fine. I, I've not enjoyed using iTunes for a long time. In fact, I use it as little as possible now. I just let my iTunes match subscription expire because although it was okay, it, it wasn't good. It um I never subscribed to Apple Music 
you know, every time I, I lo- turn on iTunes, I've got dozens and dozens of app updates. I don't know why it doesn't update in the background. I'm not even sure why I need my apps in iTunes anymore. Um, I, I'm just not really I, – I go out of my way not to use iTunes. Uh, it's just I play music from my phone now and Bluetooth that to other speakers in my house. It's It really is just bloated and uh, painful to use. And so I think Apple is at a point where they really need to, to just completely – Break it apart, make it separate apps, do, do something. Um, and if they're not careful, they're going to continue to have this problem with other apps. And I, like we mentioned this with the Apple Music service earlier, where they just keep bolting on other other services. Uh, we're, we've redesigned it and redesigned it, and it's harder to use than ever. And redesigning it is not fixing the problem. You've just got to burn it down. Yeah, if you look at iOS, the iTunes app on iOS is a media store app. And that's it, because there are other apps to do all the other things that iTunes does on the Mac. And I think that is where Apple needs to go with the Mac version of iTunes. Why hasn't it? I think it's simple. It's that what is there will get them by, and their focus has been on iOS and not the Mac. And this feels like something that should probably be an OS update kind of thing, like the next version of Mac OS, they should say, and here's what we're doing. It's it's completely in, in line with what they've done with many other parts of the Mac, where they have wanted to bring them completely in parallel with what you get on iOS. So it's sitting right there, right? Music app. A TV app, uh, an iTunes app that is just for some media, uh, you know, renting, purchasing, uh, maybe syncing goes in there too, but a lot of the stuff gets freed. I use iTunes every day because I am an Apple Music subscriber and I listen to music at my desk on my Mac. And yeah, it's it's the music part is actually a lot better than it used to be. They've fixed a lot of the bugs with it, but it's still it needs it, it it's doing ten different tasks. So I hope they do it. I hope they break it up into little bits. I think it's just a big job, and they've felt like it does uh it's good enough, which is not a very Apple attitude, but you know. There it is. Uh, on the Mac, sometimes good enough. It's a little bit like iTunes for Windows. Well, it exists. That's all we really need out of it. Uh, and unfortunately, the Mac has been in, in the exact same boat. So I, I think there's hope that this will be, certainly if you talk about low-hanging fruit, it's like, what would be a major feature that would make Mac users happy with the next version of Mac OS? Uh, breaking up iTunes and turning it into something a little more parallel to what's on iOS, I think would be the the answer there. Yeah, I mean, the it's good enough argument, like you say, is not very Apple. And I know for a fact, I don't have inside information about what the plans are for iTunes, but I definitely have inside information that there are people who have been angsty about this situation for a long time. So it's not that they're like, oh, whatever, modal dialogues are just going to interrupt users all the time. Who cares, <laughs> right? Like, they they know it's bad. They it's feel bad about it. Yay. It's a surprise. You know, who knows what error is going to come up now? Um, but the this my personal guess about the thing that's the biggest stumbling block for them is windows because obviously the iphone is the biggest uh, generator of revenue on on apple's balance sheet and a lot of those iPhones are still being used by people who have Windows. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you can use an iPhone on Windows if you want any syncing and they even like sync Outlook calendars and stuff through iTunes, which is this, you know, ancient app. But one weird thing about it being 17 years old this is written in C++. It works on Windows and Mac with a lot of the same code base. So that's like a difficult thing for them to solve. Not that they can't solve it. Um, and I'm sure they've had various prototypes of like, you know, an Apple sync app or something like that. I, I'm not sure exactly, but I think they you're right that one of these macOS releases is going to have, and now the music app that really is just music, and we cram all this old syncing stuff uh, into the junk drawer um, that used to be iTunes. Uh, and I'm really excited for that when that happens yeah. one day. 
Well, that is uh, four topics. Thank you for that. And uh, Jason, I presume we have time for a bonus topic. We do right after this message from our sponsor of the bonus topic. This bonus topic brought to you by our friends at Ministry of Supply. You know, you spend 40 hours a week wearing uh, stuff to work. If you're not somebody who can work in your pajamas like me, uh, that work clothing, it's not really great. I always hated it. That was one of the things I didn't like about going to work is uh, you, you, you wear this clothing. It's restrictive. It's unbreathable. At the end of the day, it's all wrinkled. Ministry of Supply fixes all this because they make performance clothes for the workplace. It's an, a company launched by MIT engineers. They did research. They, they worked on performance technology and they have tailored design. It creates where-to-work clothes for men and women, dress shirts, blouses, and pants. They work with your body to provide maximum comfort, temperature control, wrinkle resistance, extreme stretch. You have a sharp, professional, comfortable look all day long. Uh, I have one of their dress shirts with NASA-invented fibers in it. It is the favorite shirt that I own. It's so great. It doesn't require a lot of care. It's super comfortable to wear. It's kind of amazing. Uh, they also make socks now, too. We love socks on Clockwise because clocks and socks <laughs> go together. The smarter dress socks are made of coffee fiber, wicks sweat, and absorbs odor with more padding than gym, gym socks. So it's super comfortable. Free shipping, free returns, 100-day no-questions-asked return policy. So don't be afraid of ordering clothes on the internet. Find out more and get 15% off your first purchase by going to ministryofsupply.com slash clockwise or just go into any of their nine retail stores in places like san francisco atlanta and chicago and say that clockwise sent you and claim your 15 percent off that way too thank you to ministry of supply for sponsoring the bonus question dan i don't know if you've heard this but i saw this little musical last week called hamilton i think do you mean hamlet hamlet yes hamilton i think that's what it's called anyways hey surprise it was pretty good um so my question for you guys was do you have a favorite musical I still love Les Mis. It's probably my favorite of all time. I have the original Broadway cast recording that I, I play many times over and over and over again from start to finish. So I would say Les Mis. Hamilton might be my favorite musical, but I'm going to go old school because it was my mom's favorite movie and I have seen it hundreds of times and I've seen it including recently in the theater, etc., 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 The uh. King and I. I've got to go with Book of Mormon. It's fun. It's it's offensive, but somehow it's also really charming. <laughs> it is. And you kind of, it warms your heart. I, I really like Hamilton, but it does not live up to my favorite musical, which is Newsies, which is awesome. Wow. I've seen it on Broadway and in movie form. It's fantastic. Uh, thank you all for uh, singing along, as it were. Uh, and it only remains for us to thank our guests. Katie Floyd, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And Alan Pike, I hope you have a good first time and that you will come back again soon. I did and I will. Thanks, guys. And that's it. The coda, the curtain comes down. And all that is left is for the uh, the cast to come out, take their bows, and remind you to watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.